night sometimes, but many times mm. I'd just be calling from eight in the morning up until like eight 30 at night, 12 hours a wow. day. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was crazy. If we had customers that I wasn't dealing with myself, I would go to the restroom to call because people are like, wait, why is that guy calling about houses when we're in a car dealership? It made no sense. Uh, right. Or sometimes I'd go to the roof of the building, right? But I did that for 12 months before I got my first transaction. I was my literally, goodness. I mean, I wanted to quit every single week. And one day I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to quit on the idea of quitting and I'm not going to give my myself that option. I'll just keep at it until something happens. And 12 months later, I got my first transaction. Um, that made me about 45,000. I paid off all my debt. And from there on, it just started snowballing. You are now listening to the Your First Steps podcast. It's great to talk about million dollar dreams. But where do we start? How do we get there? Listen up. As you hear directly from real estate industry leaders on how they reach success in their fields. And most importantly, what were their first steps? Let's get this party started. Here's your host, Eli the Real Estate Guy. All right. Hey, how's it going, guys? Thank y'all so much for tuning into another episode of the Your First Steps podcast. Uh, today, we have another special guest. All right. And we are speaking with a multifamily investor, and it is Mr. Abbas Muhammad. Abbas, how you doing today, man? Hey, I appreciate you having me on. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. So um, I actually found uh, about, and I'm, I'm pronouncing that right, Abbas. It is Abbas. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're okay, gotcha, right. gotcha. So I, I found Abbas online uh, from following someone, his name is uh, Ken Jocelyn. And I've been following him for about like a, a month or so. And uh, every now and then I would just see different pieces of content that come about. But then there was one particular video. He was on stage and he was talking about, you know, this person. It's like, man, this person, when you talk about tenacity and really getting after it, um, you know, there, there's this individual. He was cold calling and really uh, working to get a deal for 13 months. And in my mind, I'm like, okay, for 13 months, he's going to say like, oh, man, he was killing the game. Like, things were amazing. He's like, he was cold calling for 13 months. And he didn't get not one deal. And I was like, wait, hold on. Where is the story going? You know, with that. And then after that, he went on to say, after that, he started killing the game, became like a a top producer uh, in his area. And it was just that next level of commitment. I made a decision. I'm going to keep going. And after I saw that, I'm like, I got to find this person. So <laughs> I went online, went on Google, went on all over the place. I found him on Instagram and I messed up like, hey, like I would love to have you on the podcast. So so th- uh, that's how I found him and that's how he's here. So thank you for Well, uh, I for appreciate you having me on. I'm excited to share. <laughs> yes, sir. All right. So uh, for the folks that don't know who you are, uh, tell us a, a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I guess I'll start with the end. So nowadays, you know, I'm a multifamily investor. And so what we do at Model Equities, we help people passively invest in apartment complexes. And so I started that a couple of years ago because I needed a place to start investing. And then from there on, I started bringing in other investors with me. And so now we're about at about $54 million in assets under management. And so that's, nice. that's my, my, my focus. Gotcha. All right, cool. So uh, now we know that you're in a multi-family uh, space. Now uh, we know that you're bringing on investors to invest with you. Uh, but of course, you know things all start off from childhood. Uh, yep. And what I found is everyone that I speak with, they 
typically have uh, some links from their childhood that brought them to where they are now. So walk me through what was it like uh, in your household growing up? Uh, and then we'll slowly walk to, to where you are now. So what was it like when you were a kid? Yeah, no, it's interesting. I think I think um, if you look at someone's childhood, a lot of times you could, you know, and, and then see what they're doing right now. A lot of times you can understand why they're doing what they're doing just by looking at their childhood because it plays a very big factor. And so for mm -hmm. me growing up, I was raised and born and raised in Iraq and uh, we were extremely poor to the point where we didn't even have beds to sleep on. I remember as a kid, you know, uh, we would sleep on concrete because we couldn't even afford to have beds. And so mm -hmm. um, I remember as a kid, I always hated that. I remember saying, look, the minute I could do something and, and work hard, I'll, I'll work hard to make money so we don't have to live like this because everybody else lived way better than we did. Mm -hmm. And so after the Iraq war, at the time I was like seven, eight years old or whatever, um, we lost our house and then we ended up moving to Syria, stayed in Syria for two years. Also, I mean, it was like seven of us living in a, in a 500 square foot apartment. Oh. And uh, after Syria, I came to the U.S. when I was 11 years old. This was back in 2009. Um, I was 11 years old. We had a house that was a rental, $600 a month, and we couldn't afford $600 a month. We had uh, housing assistance. We had food stamps. We didn't have a car. And so, you know, just growing up, I was we were always poor. And so mm -hmm. by the time I was 18, I was uh, going to college and I was working as a used car salesman and I just had enough of it. I'm like, you know what? I'll never make it in life if I stay, you know, in the car sales job and I don't want to work for somebody for the rest of my life, you know, making fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a year. I want to do something mm -hmm. bigger. And so at the time I was 18 years old, I didn't know anything about business, but I'm like, I wonder what business I could start. And after looking at the richest people in the world, what I realized is that most of them became rich because of real estate. So I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to think about it too much. They're way smarter than I am. So I'm just going to get into real estate. But now the question is, you know, I don't have money to buy any real estate. So how do I actually get into real estate? So at the time I had a credit card and that credit card had $5,000 on it. And the cost of getting my real estate license was going to be about $2,000. So I was like, you know what? The only thing I could afford to do, and I didn't know it at the time, you could actually flip without your own money. You could wholesale without your own money. But I was 18 years old. I was a dumb kid. And so I'm like, look, I'm just, I'm going to get my real estate license. And I see these agents, I'm in the Bay area. It's a very competitive market, but I didn't realize any of that. And I think sometimes it helps to be ignorant because you don't know what's going to potentially stop you. Absolutely. But anyway, I was, I didn't realize how difficult it was going to be. And honestly, if someone would have told me, I would have probably not done it, but I, I got my real estate license and I thought I was going to make $30,000 a week selling these million dollar homes uh, easily. Uh -huh. But what I quickly realized is I started, I quit my sales job. I quit my, my college and all that stuff. And I got straight in. I started knocking on doors from nine in the morning to five in the evening. I didn't get a single lead, not even a transaction. I didn't get a single lead. Not, nobody even wow. told me they want to sell their house because I was 18 years old. I was overweight. And I just did not fit the role at all. Gotcha. Wait, wait, hold on. <laughs> I, I got to stop you right there. Cause you said some good stuff right now. So, yeah. so you also did uh door knocking as well. I did. For, I did for, for three for months. How, for three months. All I right. would wear and a no, suit. No I would wear uh -huh. a suit, uh, you know, a tie and the whole thing. It was a very cheap suit actually, but mm. I would wear the whole thing and, uh, and nobody took me seriously. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. I love it. Okay. Gotcha. Yo, continue. Continue. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah. my credit card maxed out, you know, I, I didn't have any more money. And so I'm like, okay, well I have to go make 
money somehow. So I went back to the job I hated. I hated selling cars. I was very good okay. at it, but I hated it. And so uh -huh. I went back to selling cars and uh, I was like, look, you know, there are a lot of times where I'm not really as productive. I'm not really as busy. So uh -huh. why don't I figure out, I have two options. I could either give up on my, on my real estate business, which at the time it wasn't a business. It was kind of uh -huh. like an attempt, I would say. Right. <laughs> so right. I could either give uh -huh. up on that or I could just figure out another way to make this work. And so I'm like, you know what? In between me not selling a car or talking to a customer, I'm just going to start cold calling because I could do that at the office when uh, I'm not busy. So uh -huh. I, I bought a headset and I bought into this program that lets me call three people at the same time. And so I did that, started cold calling. And then about a, a couple of weeks later, I'm like, you know what? I'm not using my other ear. So what if I double my productivity by having two headsets on, Whoa. each calling three lines at the same time, right? And so I did that. And then Machine. Okay. And I was gotcha. I was like, I would get in the morning, like I would get into the office at like eight in the morning and I'd, I would leave at like mid, you know, midnight sometimes. But many times mm. I'd just be calling from eight in the morning up until like 8.30 at night, 12 hours a day. Wow. Mm -hmm. um, and it was crazy. If we had customers that I wasn't dealing with myself, I would go to the restroom to call because people were like, wait, why is that guy calling about houses when we're in a car dealership? It made no sense. Uh, right. Or sometimes I'd go to the roof of the building, right? But I did that for 12 months before I got my first transaction. I was my literally, goodness. I mean, I wanted to quit every single week. And one day I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to quit on the idea of quitting and I'm not going to give my myself that option. I'll just keep at it until something happens. And 12 months later, I got my first transaction. Um, that made me about 45,000. I paid off all my debt. And from there on, it just started snowballing. My, I got my second transaction quickly after then third within Within a year after that, I was uh, at the time I was 20 years old. I was making about $350,000 a year. It was more money than all my family had made combined, and uh, it was it was a life changer at that moment. Gotcha. But then, so, well, uh -huh. so before you go to the next step, you said something that I feel like should be on a T-shirt. You said you uh, decided to quit on quitting. Yep. Right. That that is. Do you have that written down somewhere? Are you going to trademark that? Because that's awesome. <laughs> I should. Right. Right. Because because it's powerful that, that you said that because um, whenever people see folks working hard, whether it's a, I'll just use this as an example. You grinding hard. You going twelve months cold calling, door knocking, doing everything that you can to get this transaction going on, uh, and nothing happened. And you, it wasn't that you had some crazy motor or like some mindset to where it's like, all right, well, I want to like, you never thought about quitting. You never, whatever. Every day you're like, man, this sucks. Like I thought right. I was going to make all this money. Like, you know, I'm seeing all this flashiness, like, like what's happening. And once you just decided to put your head down, you're like, you know what? I'm just going to just keep going. I'm just going to go. And so talk, talk about that part. Right. Yeah. Because I feel like that that's something that, uh, you know, folks would like really get a lot of value from. So take me through like when you first came in, I know you're saying that, OK, I'm going to make all this money. When was that moment to where it's like, you know what, I, I don't know if this is yeah. going to work out. And then what pushed you to be like. I'm just going to keep going. It's it's actually interesting. So I had very high expectations when I was going into the business because I would see these people on social media post about how easy it is and how much money they're making. Re later on, I realized they're all full of crap, uh, <laughs> but I didn't know it at the time. Right. 
And right. so I went in, I had super high expectations. Two weeks in, I was door knocking. I wasn't getting anything. And I remember that was kind of like the first time where I was like, wait, what am I doing? Is this even a thing? Does this even work? Yeah. So I, I started like questioning it very early on because my expectation was very high. And so now one of the things I've realized is to always keep my expectations very, very low because it, it keeps the potential of failure lower because then you know like if i go into something i'm like hey i'm expecting to see results in a month and if i don't see results in a month i might quit when i could have potentially seen results in six months right and so uh, i've just changed that mindset where it's like i just want to see if i'm getting any traction at all and if i i know if i'm getting any traction at all then i could fix things up over time and get it to where i want it i want to get it to right so i'm not as concerned about time nowadays as i used to be where i wanted everything to happen immediately nowadays i'm like okay as long as I'm seeing some movement, then I'll keep at it until I fix it the way I want. So what were, what was some movements that you saw during that time? Cause of course, uh, like you're saying, people would say, Hey, if I don't get a deal in this amount of time that I'm done, but what were those things that you saw? Like, oh, okay, well, this person didn't cuss me out. So yeah. maybe this track. So what are some of those right. things that happened? So, I mean, when I was door knocking, you gotta remember, I didn't even get a single lead. Right. Uh, but what I did notice is that I was, able to keep people at the door longer. I was able to have conversations with people. And I started realizing like, okay, I'm getting better and better at conversing with people about real estate. Uh -huh. Later on, when I started cold calling, what I what kept me going is that I was getting leads that were saying, hey, I'm going to be selling in the future. And I remember everybody was like, dude, I don't know if a single agent that sold a million dollar house through a cold call, like you got to get realistic. This is not going to work uh, out. You're, you're literally risking, you know, failing in this business. Now the people that have said that I, I now, you know, later on, I made way more money than they, they had. Right. right? But, right. but at the beginning, it's like, everybody's against you. Everybody's saying, look, this isn't going to work until it works. And then people start to try to copy the same things you've done. Right. Right. But the right. point of it is, um, you know, the point is I started getting leads and those leads um, I would notice, you know, they're getting closer and closer and closer to selling. And so I just knew, look, at some point, one of these leads that I'm generating is going to do their first right. transaction. And then it's just going to, you know, snowball from there. And that's exactly what happened. It just took much longer than I expected. It took 12 gotcha, months. Gotcha. Yep. So that first <laughs> transaction, um, you say you made uh, 45,000 on that, that right. transaction. Yep. So what, uh, walk me through that, that lead and how you got it to close. Yeah. So it's interesting. I got, um, I got a call and this guy's like, Hey, a boss, you've been talking to us forever. Um, and we're actually ready to potentially sell our house. So we were interviewing some agents. Um, uh, so I wanted to give you a call and, and, you know, see if you might be interested in joining And so I'm like, sure. Yeah, no problem. You know, I'll come out. And, and obviously I played it off. Like it was no big deal, but right. inside I'm like, I'm like, Jesus Christ, this <laughs> could be happening. the opportunity that's happening. Right. <laughs> and so, uh, and so I remember my, uh, at the time I had a mentor who I paid, uh, I, I paid the mentorship fee on a credit card. I always tell people when I started, I, I literally mm -hmm. hired a mentor on my credit card, but anyway, uh, I called up my mentor. I'm like, Hey, this is what's happening. What should I do? So he's like, I need you to do this. I need you to charge X amount percentage on the transaction. Don't discount yourself, you know, and all these different things. And so I went in, I just explained everything the way he wanted me to do it. And uh, it worked out, you know, and, and gotcha. they signed, they signed and they're like, they're, you know, at the end, they're like, you know, you seem like you've done this a lot. This isn't your first rodeo. And I'm like, I'm uh, like, I'll just stay quiet. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. He's like, oh, it does seem like that, doesn't it? Yeah, go ahead and sign right here. <laughs> 
Gotcha. I love it. So um, now something that I know was a big difference in everything that we did when it came from uh, wholesaling uh, to now flipping and now we have a rental and uh, our next step is to get into the multifamily space. Now, um, what caused us to go to those next steps was always getting some type of mentorship or of course our learning. So um, what type of information did you get from that mentorship that allowed you to be like, okay, now this is working out. Uh, and now I'm able to utilize this and, you know, rinse and repeat when it comes to these so transactions. It's interesting. I've, I've always been very big on mentors and throughout my life, because the way I look at it is this, if somebody spends 20 years or 30 years of their life learning a skill and they're willing to teach me that skill for a fraction of what it costs them to learn that, then it's a no brainer. I could, right. I could take, I could take one person's entire life experience and literally like, you know, just get it in, in, in six months and learn exactly mm -hmm. what they're doing right now after all the mistakes, after all the time. So that's what I did when I first started to hire the mentor to teach me how to do um, sales. And he was phenomenal. Um, he took me up, you know, with his program and his education, I was able to get to 300, uh, $350,000 a year. I was 20 years old at the time. So I was doing wow. pretty well. But here's the, the other thing I've learned with mentors over time that I always keep in mind is that just because somebody is good at one thing that they could mentor you on doesn't mean they're going to be good at every other aspect uh, of your life. Uh -huh. and, so, uh, and so I always keep that in mind because I realized at the time I would call my mentor and I'm forever grateful for him, but I just realized that at some point I couldn't learn from him anymore. But I remember at one time I'm calling him. I'm like, I'm like, hey, uh, you know, let's just call him Bob for right now. I'm like, hey, Bob, uh -huh. um, you know, I'm doing this and it's working out. It's better than I ever thought. But how do I keep increasing? Because I feel like I'm now getting stuck at 350 because I can't work more hours. I was doing uh -huh. 16 hours a day. And he's like, dude, he's like, listen, I mean, you know, you're a college dropout, you know, you're 20 years old, like you, you, you got to be happy with what you're doing. You're doing well, yeah. don't change anything, stay at it over 20 years. If you keep making what you're making, it's going to snowball. And I'm like, I get it. But I also see people making way more money that were yeah. working way less hours. So I'm like, there has to be something different. And so eventually I started looking at all these other businesses and I realized that the biggest businesses in the world have two things in common. Number one is they all have systems and operations, right? right? Not, nothing is done just, oh, you know, well, it depends on how we feel that day type of thing, right? My business was run that way at the time. Everything was based on my gut feelings. And I, I, that was a mistake. The other thing I realized about big businesses is that they all have employees. And at the time I was the only employee in my business. So I, uh -huh. I brought up that idea to my mentor and I'm like, Hey, you know, I want to hire employees. I want to set up systems. He's like, dude, you know, if you try to do that, I'm going to remove you from my program. Cause this doesn't oh, align. Geez. Oh, my <laughs> I know. It was, it was kind of, it was, it was, it was a little bit oh, kind of harsh gosh. at the time, but, but yeah. So I'm like, I'm like, listen, you know, I'm like, look, I, I, I appreciate it. I understand, but this is the route I want to go. And so I'm going to start mm -hmm. hiring people and all that stuff. So I started hiring virtual assistants. This was at mm -hmm. the end of 2019. Mm -hmm. I hired my first virtual assistant from the Philippines. And, um, you know, what's interesting is that five, uh, five, four or five weeks later, she started producing as many leads as I was producing, uh -huh. right? She was doing really, really well. So I'm like, interesting. 
maybe this was a fluke. Let me try to hire another virtual assistant and see if this happens again. So I hired another one, same exact thing. She started doubling my leads again. Then I hired a third one. And so all of a sudden now my lead production went up four times, right? I, I quadrupled oh. my, my effort. And so right. then I'm like, I'm like, this is very interesting. We're getting way more leads. I know leads eventually will turn into transactions. Remember, just like my, my initially when I first got in the business. Right. And so uh, in March of 2020, at the time of COVID, I had three people. And, and at the time, we didn't have any result from their leads yet. They were just leads. None of them have materialized because it was only like four months in. But COVID right. hit. And when COVID hit, I remember everybody was downsizing their business. They were firing people. They were letting people go. Uh -huh. I'm like, that's interesting. Everybody's letting people go. Everybody's business is getting smaller. Um, I think this is going to be the best opportunity for me to grow uh -huh. my business. And so what uh -huh. I did is I actually, I hired a hiring manager and I said, your uh -huh. job is to hire people nonstop. Even if I tell you to stop hiring people, you keep hiring people. I mean, unless I fire you and I stop paying you, then you keep doing it. And right. so she's, she's like, she's like, all right. I mean, if you want me to do that, I'll do that. I'm like, you just keep doing it. Don't worry about what I tell you otherwise. Where'd you because find this I, hiring manager? Was this a Philippine? She, she was also well? VA. She was also gotcha. VA because, uh -huh. because when I first started hiring people, I was hiring people to do cold calls because that's what took me the most amount of my time. Then I realized uh -huh. after I outsourced cold calling, um, hiring people was taking me the most amount of time. So I'm like, I need to get somebody uh -huh. to do the hiring for me now. And so... And so she just, she started hiring people and we went from three employees to having 12 employees that year. And I was able to triple my, my net income that year. I went from 350 to 750 um, in, in that year. And then the year after I, uh, we went from 750 to 1.7 million in profits. And so just doing the go. exact same thing, but we went up to 25 people. So what happened is I hired hiring uh, cult callers. Then it was a hiring manager. Then I'm like, okay, now we're hiring a lot of people. I'm having to train them. That's taking up too much time. So then I hired a training manager. Then I'm like, okay, well, I that's that's doing well. But I'm on the phone following up with all these people that want to set appointments with us. And it's taking up uh -huh. too much of my time. So then I hired salespeople to do uh -huh. those calls. And then eventually I hired an agent and exited the business. And so now it's, it's completely passive, but I, uh, gotcha. actually like last month we made about a hundred thousand net from it completely passive, nice. which is pretty, pretty cool stuff. Right, um, right. This month we're going to do something like that or a little more, you know, they have gotcha. 5 million, uh, in, in under contract right now. But anyway, the point is, I just learned how to get myself out of the day-to-day -day operations. And uh -huh. now that business is, I became top 50 in the country with Remax and all these different things. Right. But in 2021, I got bored. I'm like, you know, uh, I, I hired 25 people. The whole business is operating really well, but I feel like I'm useless now. Um, I don't feel like I'm getting challenged anymore. And so that's when I started investing in multifamily. Cause I had at the time I had about close to a million dollars in cash in the bank. Uh -huh. And so I was at the time I was 23 years old. And so I'm like, look, I mean, I don't want to spend the rest of my life just, you know, operating, doing nothing. I was micromanaging people just to keep myself busy. Right. And so I realized I wasn't really moving the needle that much anymore. So anyway, what I started doing is I started investing passively in multifamily and then I started actively buying multifamily deals. And so uh, in July of 2021, I bought my first deal. It was 64 apartments in Dallas for six and a half million. And uh, we raised $2 million on that deal. And then after we closed it, I bought another deal that was 30 and a half million. 
It was mm -hmm. 194 units also in Dallas. And we raised $8 million on that. So within six months of actively doing it, um, we acquired uh, $37 million of assets. And you know what I liked about it more than anything is how challenging it was. It was mm -hmm. very, very difficult to find these deals, negotiate with the brokers, close the deals, raise the equity, you know, and all these different things. And so to me, that was, it was kind of like I, I started feeling blood flow through my veins again, right? Because there it was you challenging. Go. So I, I like that. Right. Um, and then in uh, 2022, my goal was to buy was my was to buy four more properties. But the problem is, for the first six months, the market was way overpriced, and mm, and so I'm right. like, look, I'm just gonna sit on the sidelines because I don't have to buy if I don't feel like the market is good. So I just stayed on the sidelines. Prices were sky high, and so in July, when prices went down, I got another deal under contract, and we closed that in December. That was 12.8 million. So now we're mm -hmm. at about 54 million dollars in assets. Gotcha. Um, I love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. So, so when it yeah. came to uh, marketing to uh, sellers, so when it comes to finding your deals, uh, what do you do uh, as far as your your lead sources to actually uh, find these properties, vet them, and actually make offers on them? Yeah, so it's interesting. So, um, well, we listed those properties just to clarify, right? Um, we didn't really write offers on them, but what we did is it was cold calls. So we would mm -hmm. target people that had below average income that lived in below average median household prices in the entire Bay Area. And the reason I targeted those people is they tend to not have a network of agents that they could list with. And gotcha. so we would we would reach out, build relationships with those people that are interested in selling. And then at some point when they're ready to sell, you know, who's the guy that's been mailing them for years now, building relationships? I am. So then they right. call me. And that's how we built the business. Eventually, when I was exiting the business in 2022 last year, um, I realized having an operation like that of 25 people, we were doing literally 150,000 calls per day uh, because uh. we had a system that was dialing 12 people at a time, two times per person. And I had 25 people, eight gotcha. hours a day. So it was down right. a lot of people. And so I'm like, this is not going to be able to sustain itself passively. So I literally reinvented the business from scratch. Hmm. Um, I started, we started doing online leads. I, I rebuilt the entire business model. And, and then when I reinvented it, obviously we slowed the beginning for like three, four months, and then it started hmm. skyrocketing. And now we're having some of our best months ever. Um, right. So, so I had, but you know, what's interesting about business and I've done now this in, in model equity, my multifamily business. Uh -huh. Once you learn how to do, how to build the foundations of a business, rebuilding the business is a lot easier because you already know how to get from zero to a certain amount of dollars. Right. Um, and so I've been able to do it twice in the sales business. I've now been able to do it in, in the multifamily business. And recently we started a, a mastermind for people that are interested in learning how to actively buy multifamily deals. And it's the same process. It's like the same process. I'm able to scale it up so quickly. We've been able to get uh, in a month. We are now at close to 20 members and um, you know, it's just, it's a process. B business is repeatable. If you know the process, it's repeatable. So if somebody wants to join that mastermind, what, what do they have to do or where, where they find the information? Yeah. I mean, you know, the best thing to do is I, I always tell people is let's book a call, see if it's the right fit for you or not, mm -hmm. because I've had a couple of people that wanted to join, but I realized like they just want to invest passively, which if you just uh -huh. want to invest passively, you don't need the mastermind or, or pay for any of that stuff. But if you want to right. actively buy deals, then, then yeah, it's, it's uh booking a call is kind of the best thing to do. And mm -hmm. that way we could see if it's the right fit for you. Gotcha. 
All right. And yeah. so I know when uh, you're talking about uh, sellers, uh, you're talking about like single family properties, but when it came to the multifamily and you actually marketing to the owners of, of them and finding those multifamily deals, uh, what was your process of finding those uh, multifamilies? So I actually did it differently. So, um, you know, one of the things I, I, I learned later on in life that I also want to share is that the best way to, um, you know, get into something, have success is to find other people that have done what you want to do and then just modeling after their business. And that's why mm -hmm. I named my company Model Equity, by the way, because I never mm -hmm. want to forget that lesson. Anytime I want to learn something new, I'm like, who has done this that I could either hire or I could go learn from? and not have to reinvent the wheel from scratch. So I, when I started looking at some of the biggest companies in multifamily in Dallas and other markets, what I realized is that they built relationships with brokers and they didn't compete with brokers by going out and trying to get the, the deals on their own. Uh. And so that's what I did. I And because I was a broker myself, it was easier for me to build those relationships. So I would actually go out and when I want to build these relationships with brokers, I didn't go after the senior agents. I went after the junior people that just got in the business because they didn't have net networks. They didn't have relationships. So they would give me time versus the senior agents. You know, they were too busy. They've already got their own people and they're not going to deal with somebody that was brand new. So right. when I first started, I would go to the junior agents. I would take them out to lunches, to dinners, to events, all these different things. Um, and that's how I built the, the network. You know, I remember my first, uh, big deal, my first deal was six and a half, but my first big deal was 30 and a half million. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I remember the agent was like, he's like a boss. Listen, if you, if you fail at this, you're going to ruin my reputation. And, uh, and he's like, well, our, our company does half of the business in Dallas. You'll never get a deal from us again. I'm like, dude. I will work day and night to make sure right. that we close this with no problems. And we had a lot of problems, but he never heard of them. And we closed right. on time. <laughs> there you go. Now, now you mentioned Dallas several times, right? Yeah. So uh, is Dallas your primary market that you uh, go into? And uh, if so, why is that? Yeah. So Dallas is definitely my primary market. I, I mm. like it a lot. And the reason is because I have four main criteria when I look at markets. Number one is I want to see population growth. I want to see people move because, you know, real estate is all about supply and demand. And so if there's a lot of demand, automatically, naturally, you're going to get appreciation. You're going to get rent growth and all these other factors, right? So population is number one. Um, Dallas has had the highest population between 2010 to 2020, right, per the census data. So to me, that was that was an easy winner. But the other thing is it has a lot of job growth. A lot of companies are moving to Dallas. Um, they also have a lot of rent growth, which is one of my primary criteria. I want to see rent growth. I want to see appreciation. But then finally, it's it's very landlord friendly. And you could say that for the entirety of Texas, right? It's very landlord friendly. So it fit every single criteria that I had. Gotcha. All right. Yep. So uh, population growth, uh, rent growth, landlord friendly and job growth is yep. the main things. And, okay, and, then, gotcha. and then I want to see rent growth and appreciation as well. Historical rent growth and appreciation. Gotcha. All right. And so if... Um, so I know that's your primary area, but what are some other, uh, locations that you're looking into that you would recommend like, Hey, this is also a good spot mm -hmm. to look into. Yeah. I, I, I really like Nashville. Nashville is getting about 200 new net residents per day, which is, I mean, that they're a town of a million people. So that's actually right. a, a really good number for a, a, a city that small. Right. Uh, so Nashville is phenomenal. I like many Florida markets like Jacksonville, Orlando, Tampa, you just have to be a little careful with, you know, the, the hurricanes and all these different things, yeah. right? 
Um, uh, insurance costs is through the roof, but I really like those markets as well. Tucson, I like Phoenix. I like, but one of the things I'll tell you about Phoenix, for example, is that a lot of times during recessionary times, they don't perform as well. Um, uh, and, and, and quite recently when prices went down, they had some of the biggest drops in pricing. So that's why I'm always a little uh, careful with Phoenix, but I really like it as a market. Yeah. Why, why and, did they drop uh, as far as uh, value? What was going on with that? You know, it's because so so Phoenix and Vegas drop in value because a lot of their, uh, for example, Vegas, a lot of their income is based on uh, tourism. And so yeah. during economic hardships, people don't you know go and spend as much money there. And so that's why. And Phoenix is kind of similar. Historically, drops a lot in value during recessionary periods. But they've had a lot of different jobs and and different companies move there. So I thought this time it was going to be different, to be honest mm -hmm. with you. But it wasn't. It, it had the same pattern. When prices went down, wow. they went down the most. Um, gotcha. So, interesting. Yeah. So, okay. So it's interesting that you say that because I was looking at, I was reading a book. Um, I think it's called like the best apartment syndication book ever or whatever. Uh, something like oh, that. Joe Fairless. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he was uh, explaining how the way that you'll do research on these particular markets, you'll look at everything that you pretty much just said, population growth. Uh, and one of the things that he said was looking at the industries that are the most prevalent in that area. And if one particular industry or one particular company uh, provides the majority of the jobs, then you have to look at, okay, how likely are they to either move or to be uh, affected by anything that could happen. So as I was doing research on these different markets, um, I'm from the Orlando area. So I'm like, okay, well, Orlando will be a good area, but Orlando is basically tourism, right? So Disney, Universal, these theme parks or whatever. And so as I was doing research on uh, things that were happening there, I realized that because most of it is tourism for a short while, there it statistically it was supposed to suffer but what also happened is that a bunch of people was moving to orlando so right it like the the the, the stats are like super weird and so i'm trying to figure out like how how does that uh, uh, affect other areas so I, I think ohio um i'm not sure if it's like uh, cincinnati specifically but i know they're uh big into like education spaces uh and uh something with like some tech uh, item. So I guess, what do you look for as far as industry, as far as diversification? Uh, and what would you stay away from uh, as far yeah. as industries? I would stay away from one trick, one trick pony type of locations where it's like mm -hmm. just one big industry dominating the whole sector or the whole market. And if that industry was to go down, then the whole market collapses. I'll give you an example of that is like Odessa, Texas, right? Odessa, uh, is is very reliant on gas and, yeah. and gas prices and so when gas is doing well right gas and oil is doing well the the apartments are filled the rents are going through the roof and then when when gas is not doing so well then you see 70 percent 60 percent occupancy in some cases uh. the rents drop like crazy and so you want to stay away from those type of places because it's like you just don't know you don't want to gamble with with your money or your investors money more importantly right, right. And so I would rather pay a premium to be in a good market that's stable, right? And where there's a lot of population growth. There's like if something was to happen to one of the major companies in Dallas, I don't think anybody would notice because there's so many of them, right? So it's just mm -hmm. like whatever, right? Mm -hmm. Moving right. on next, right? 
And right. so, but I know like in some, in some areas, they have these huge factories, you know, from the, these different companies. Like if that one factory was to go out of business, well, the whole population works for that, uh, for that company. And so then it's exactly. kind of screwed. So I stay away from what's called a secondary and tertiary market because those markets tend to be overly reliant on just one business. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And so when it comes to property management, um, I've heard different pieces of information, but uh, the main thing that I've heard is as you get into larger apartments, of course, you got to have dedicated uh, property management that stays on the property. But if you're doing smaller things like 10, 15 units or whatever, then just hiring an outside uh, management would suffice. What's your take on, I guess is a a double-layer question, starting off with smaller apartments, that's like 10 to 20 units, uh, and then how important is it to have property management that's actually on the location? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's, well, the latter having property management on the property is very important because they'll be able to manage it way better than mm-hmm. anybody who's not on the location. Right. So I highly mm-hmm. recommend finding properties that have that now for those properties to be able to afford someone to stay on site you have to have 50 units or larger, in some cases, even 60 units or larger. So my, what I always tell people, I will highly recommend that you just start at 50 units or bigger. And, and the biggest thing that people get, you know, the, they can't wrap their head around is like, well, you know, I want to work my way up through to that. Like I'm going to do single family, then I'm going to do duplexes, then fourplexes, then aplexes. And to me, that's a complete waste of time. You'll spend mm-hmm. 10 years of your life doing that. You'll hate your life. And, and then you're eventually going to get to the 50 units, maybe unless you struggle a lot and just give up on the whole thing prior. Gotcha. So just skip that whole mess and get straight to the 50 units. And I, I can tell you from my experience, we have, for example, I'll just give you two, my, our first two properties. One was 64 units. The other was 194. The 194 mm-hmm. units is actually much easier to manage than the 64 uh-huh. units. Why? Because mm-hmm. at the 194, we have multiple employees. And so at the 64 unit, we only have two. And so it just makes it much, uh-huh. much easier to manage. So then people are like, well, you know, I mean, I, I, I don't know how to do that. It's like, and I get that. I completely get that. But you get education, you get mentorship, right? You find other people who have done it, you learn from them. And that's what I do every time I want to learn anything. Like if I want to learn about apartments, I went to a mentor and then I went to other people that have built billion dollar companies because that's what I want to do. And then Mm -hmm. when I want to learn how to speak, I went and paid somebody to teach me how to speak, right? Do public events and all these different things. So that is the fastest way to compress time and, and skip over all the learning and the education that you will have to suffer through for decades. I remember when I first wanted to get into multifamily, I called this broker and he had like, I think it was like a 20 unit apartment, kind of like small, right? Uh-huh. And I'm like, uh, I can't remember his name. I think it was Andy, but I'm like, Andy, you know, it says that you need proof of funds, right? Do I need to have like $2 million in the bank or like how, or, or can I raise the money? And he's like, dude, uh-huh you're way over your head. You got to start with the duplexes, the fourplexes, the aplexes, and then eventually maybe come back in 10, 20 years, then start buying Ah, these 20 units. I'm like, dude, that's a a waste of my time. I'm not doing that. So (laughs) then I I, I learned the process and my first thing was 64 units, right? So it's like, to me, like Mm -hmm. looking back, I'm like, thank God I didn't follow that advice. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So now when it comes to, uh, so with property management, how do you identify uh, a good property managed Actually, let me back up. When you first come into a property, do you first look to see if you're going to keep them or not? 
and then from there you like slowly exit them out or what was your process with yeah no with i mean generally speaking you 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 exit them out at the time of purchase, like before purchase, you know, um, you have your new management company come in, they give you the new expectations of how the property is going to be around and all that stuff. Now, the question is, how do you find a good property management company? Because that's right. very important. And mm -hmm. so I'll tell you the way I do it, right? Mm -hmm. Is that if I'm looking at a property, I go online because to me, nowadays, most tenants are trying to find these properties online, right? The days of uh -huh. just having signs and word of mouth are long gone. And so right. I go online on these leasing websites and I want to see what companies are, are advertising their properties online in that same area. And so then I look at these properties in the same neighborhood and I want to see, you know, what are the rents like? If I call them, do they pick up the phone? What are the reviews uh, like, right? And so when I call, I don't know, some people might see this as a bad thing. Some might not. I just pretend to be a tenant and I say, hey, you know, I'm looking to potentially rent in this area. Wanted to see what the rents are like. And so depending on how they handle the call and how they treat me, then I decide, uh, okay, this is a company I might actually want to potentially hire. And if uh, I do, and I actually am serious about the property, then I fly in. I see the property and then I go visit those competing properties pretending to be a tenant to see how they handle a potential tenant in person. And if they pass all mm -hmm. the all the all the questions, then I would call them, ask for budgets, ask for performance, and then potentially hire them. But that's the way I do it. I just to be honest with you, I just pretend to be a tenant because that gives me the most raw information uh -huh. out there otherwise if you just tell them hey i'm looking to hire you everybody will say the same thing everybody will tell right, you how great right. they are and, and you don't <laughs> find out until after you hire them but then it's too late yeah exactly so okay so now your mission uh going out and, and flying these properties would you recommend starting off with uh the area that you're in or would you recommend just going and looking at areas that has the most growth potential and that fits your buy box and just just going out to them. So I, I guess what was, what's, what's, yeah. What, so, what so I, I will say this. I mean, the biggest benefit of investing in multifamily to me is the fact that I get to choose the markets that are in the path of growth that are benefiting from population growth and appreciation. And so where you live may not be the best market. I live in California. I live in San Jose. I would never buy in San Jose. It's a terrible market for investors. Mm -hmm. It's a very anti-landlord state. And so, and so I wouldn't do it to be honest with you. Now, the question is, if you buy out of state, how do you manage the property out of state? And so again, you uh -huh. have property management, but then you also could partner with people that live in that location that could then you know, help you with that. And so to me, the, the multifamily business is all about relationships. It's all about uh -huh. having connections. And so when I started, I didn't have any relationships, by the way. So if you don't have any, that's completely normal. Everybody starts at zero. But then right. you just have to understand, how do I find these people? How do I build relationships? How do I you know, work with others. So that way we can all buy bigger properties than me just, you know, doing everything on my own, buying a crappy little deal by myself, you know? Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And so now with whenever you're, uh, so I'll start off with this example. My wife and I, whenever we're flipping properties, we have a particular look that we use. So whether it's uh, a certain type of tile, we use the same type of paint, the same type of everything when it comes to our flips, because we know what people like and we just do it over and over and over again. Now, uh, I know with uh, multifamily, there's certain improvements that you can make. Uh, and it's not just the unit itself. It's outside of certain you know, exterior improvements. What are some things that you do uh, that's sort of rinse and repeat uh, and things that are 
area specific? Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, great question because it's all about scalability, right? And so you mm -hmm. want to be able to scale it. And so to me, that's why I was able to grow my sales business because I made it so scalable, so easy to, you know, hire people, implement other things. And that's why I grew it. So it's the same thing in multifamily. So in multifamily, the first thing we look at is operational deficiency, meaning is the current owner not operating the property at the highest level? I'll tell you an example. We just bought a deal. It was uh, 12.8 million um 80 townhouses in dallas and the story on this deal is it was built in 1984 the current owner makes a lot of money he was a very successful construction company and so he just bought it you know to park his money somewhere right and it's been five years dallas has had a lot of uh rent growth and he uh -huh. put one of his construction company employees to manage this property and it's like we looked at the property and the average rent was like 800 bucks i went to the other properties nearby and they're at 1500, 1600 per unit, very similar units. So I'm like, you know what? Um, first of all, before we do anything, we're going to renew all these leases at 1500. You know, that's uh -huh. the first thing we're going to do. The second is we're going to update these units as the tenants move out. And so the way we update units is we have a, a specific package and it's the same, you know, every, everywhere, right. It's the, uh -huh. it's the black, uh, black appliances. We, we put uh, back splashes on the, in the kitchen. We change the flooring. We paint the, you know, the, the, the property, we change the cabinet doors, all these different things. Right. Uh -huh. Um, and so, and so that's what we did. And then we add things like Wi-Fi. We might add things like a tech package, right. Depending on the property. Uh -huh. But the, the biggest thing is it's either going to be a cosmetic update or it's going to be an operational deficiency that the current owner is having. But you have to have a story. And if there's if there's no story, meaning if I buy a property and there's no way for me to really add value to the deal, then I'm not uh -huh. a buyer for that deal. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. And so what are some red flags that you see whenever you go into a property? I know uh, if there's no value add, then you're, you're not touching it. But what are some other red flags that... You go into a property and you're like, oh, no, I've seen that before. No way. Yeah. My first question when I visit a property is would I feel comfortable living here? Right. I lived mm -hmm. in apartments myself. Right. When I mm -hmm. didn't have any money and I was, you know, starting out. And uh -huh. so, you know, I lived in really crappy apartments and I remember how these were operated and what used to happen at these places. And so I'm like, I, I don't want to deal with um, tenants that will cause issues. And so the first thing I ask myself is would, would I want to live here? Because if I don't want to live here, then I'm not going to get the type of tenants that I want to deal with. And my life would become much, much harder. I'm going to have evictions right. all the time. I'm going to have a lot of issues. So that's my first, you know, criteria, not just for the property, but also for the neighborhood. Like I look at the neighborhood, I'm like, would I feel comfortable being in this neighborhood? Could I go out at night and go shop? Is it close by? Is there a, a school close by? If I want to send my kid to school, I don't have any kids, but if I did, mm -hmm. you know, I want that. Uh, right. Is our jobs close by or do I have to drive for an hour to get to the closest job locations, uh, right? Is it easy to get on the highway? Um, so all of these different things I look at, like I don't, I don't personally invest in low income neighborhoods because, and I, I get the whole thing with opportunity zones and all these tax benefits, but you deal with when you deal with lower income tenants like that, you just have a lot more evictions. You have a lot more headaches. Uh -huh. And this may or may not be the politically correct thing to say, but I'm just telling you this as an investor, it's right. not it's not worth it to deal with all those headaches. I'll leave that to somebody else. I want right. my investors to get cash flow consistently. I want them to get appreciation and I want them to make money. And I also want to improve the tenants' lives. Like when we go into these properties, we're 
taking them up from where they're at to a much higher level by, you know, putting in like this property I just told you about, we're going to spend about 700, 800,000 in, in rehab. So everybody's life is going to get much better. Right. Uh, but the point, but the point is like, I, I don't want to gamble on my investors. Mm -hmm. money. Right. I feel you. And so now with the types of properties that you're going into, cause you're saying that you want to make sure that they, you feel safe. Uh, and so I'm assuming, are you going for, just B and C's or are you going to uh, A's as well? Yeah. So currently, I mean, I would focus, my biggest focus is B class okay. uh, more than anything else. I will look at C plus assets, but uh -huh. I, I have to see a really good story. Like I have, the price has to be really good. Um, like we're looking at the deal right now and it's substantially below market price. So I, I may, I may look at it. Right. Uh -huh. So, so those, would I do a class? maybe in the future, but not right now, because there's, there's a lot of supply that will hit the market over the next two, three years. And gotcha. so those, that supply is not going to affect as much the B class and the C class. They're going after the, the higher income tenants. And so they're going to compete with other A class. And so to me, I'm personally staying out of that unless, unless it's, you know, way below replacement cost and it's in a really good location where they're not building, you know, much around it, then that gotcha. could be different. Right. But I right. would say, in my opinion, the safer approach right now is B-class properties because the people that can't afford A-class because of economic hardships, they're going to go down to B-class. The C-class tenants are going to get squeezed the most, unfortunately, because, you know, if they lose jobs or whatever, but the B-class is kind of the most well-insulated, in my opinion. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, and so uh, with B-class being the primary spot that you go with, what are some other criteria that you have as far as your buy box um, for that, whether it's price, location, like what are some things you're yeah, looking for? I, I want to be, I want to be 50 units or larger just because mm -hmm. of the fact that, you know, we said you have on-site management. Um, I want the area income to be 40,000 or higher. Why is that? Because when I push rents up, I want to make sure that the tenants could actually afford it. So I want them to get at least minimum two and a half X the, uh, the rent, right? Mm -hmm. So if I'm pushing rent to 3000, I want the average tenant there to be making at least seven, $8,000 a month. Right. Gotcha. Uh, just, just as an example. Mm -hmm. um, so that way they could afford it. But then I also want to make sure it's close to jobs, close to schools, close to all these shopping, all these different things. I want the deal size to be minimum of 10 million or higher, because to be honest with you, it takes the same amount of work to do a 20, $30 million deal as it does to do a $5 million deal. So if I'm going to mm -hmm. do a deal anyway, I might as well go after bigger deals. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's my criteria. Dallas, obviously that's my number one market, you know? Gotcha. And so as far as your, uh, syndications, whatever you're finding a property and you're packaging, uh, you know, something together, whether it's a, um, like acquisition fees, the, uh, the preferred return, uh, what, uh, does your package look like whenever you're uh, presenting it to investors? Yeah. So, you know, it's, I want my investors to be able to double their money uh, mm -hmm. over a three to five year holding period. Now, obviously there are no guarantees. Every deal is going to be different, right? And we may do better. We may do worse. Uh, but I want investors to double their money in three to five years. And part of that is I also want them to get cash flow. Like I'm very big on cash flow because cash flow adds safety to the deal. Mm -hmm. If you have a property that's not cash flowing and you're underwater, you're going to lose sleep at night. And so I don't want to do that. I'm very low mm -hmm. leverage on deals. I'm, I tend to be very risk averse. Like I'm always, uh -huh. I'm always very, and that's in business, but also in investing, obviously. 
Um, I want, you know, like right now when we're looking at deals, we're doing 50% leverage, 60% leverage, right? So, so our, our income in relation to our debt is, is, you know, much lower. And so that gives me a lot of comfort. Um, so I want them to get about five, 6% in cash flow consistently every month. Um, and I want them to be able to double their money in three to five years. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. And so, uh, and that's, so every month you're paying out uh, mm -hmm. payments. Okay. So not, not a quarterly. So when I started, okay. it was quarterly. Now I do mm -hmm. every month. Got it. Okay. That, that's exactly what I was going to ask. Cause I know with your, so with your first deal, did you partner with uh, other uh, syndicators uh, mm -hmm. to get that started? Yeah. So, so on, my first deal, like? on my first deal, I, I met this guy who lives in Dallas, who had uh, a lot of experience managing assets. He's been doing it since 2012, but he mm -hmm. never did syndications, but he managed multifamily. And so I'm like, listen, you know, let's partner up on deals and do something together. And so we bought yeah. our first property together. We bought the second, the third together. So, so we've worked, you know, together since then, but, but yeah, I mean, I add different GPs to the deals depending on what I need. And the larger the deal, the more GPs you're going to need. But here's the thing I tell people, it's better to have partners and do bigger deals than to do everything yourself on a small deal, because that's just too much work. It's not worth right. It. Gotcha. And so I know you've went from the uh, sell side of being uh, an agent and now you're an investor uh, syndicating, doing things of the multifamily space. Uh, you've done uh, the, the B class. You said eventually you'll do the A. What's next for you uh, in, in the space of real estate or just in business? What's something that you're looking to do next? Yeah. So that's an interesting question. You know, I, I really enjoy business for the sake of business. Like I, I literally, read market reports at 12 o'clock at night. The first thing I read, by the way, I have a bunch of reports that come to my email. The first thing I read in the morning is, is market reports. Like I just enjoy real estate. I enjoy business. And so I just want to keep growing that. To be honest with you, I want to see how close can I get model equity, my multifamily company to a Blackstone. And mm. I know, um, I know we have a lot of time, right? Uh, Steven Schwarzman, when he started it, now they have about 900 billion in assets. When he started, he was 45 years old. So I have a lot of, Goodness. A, lot of uh, yeah. a lot of time before I, yeah. I get to that. And so to me, that's kind of like the the golden standard is I want to see how how close I can get to Blackstone, Brookfield, or any of these other huge, huge companies. Gotcha, gotcha. I love it. All right. And so uh, now those market reports that you're getting. Uh, what, uh, which reports are you uh, reading uh, or that you have subscriptions to? Yeah, a bunch actually. I mean, a number of them, but one of them is called CRE. I forgot the exact name. I could pull it up right now, but mm. um, CRE, I, I read CoStar reports every day because we have a subscription to CoStar. And so mm. they send us market reports. Uh, CRE daily is one of my favorites. There it is. CRE daily. Mm. I recommend that one as well. Um, CoStar news is another one that comes in every morning. Uh, but yeah, that's, those are the major ones. Gotcha. And so with that, uh, why, what's significant about those two ones that you uh, read? Because uh, of course, you know, you're, you're getting multiples and uh, each one is giving you a different set of information. So what's significant about CRE and uh, CoStar uh, separately? Yeah, so CoStar, I read a lot of local market information that pertains specifically to Dallas versus mm -hmm. like, for example, CRE Daily or Bloomberg or any of these other things. It's more macro level. And so that way I can understand what's happening with other asset classes. I can understand what's happening on a, on a national level and all these different things because I always want to keep my eye open 
hey, should we eventually add in self-storage? Do we eventually add in retail? Should we eventually add in all these other things? And so I'm just kind of always tracking these different mm -hmm. things in the back of my mind. I don't want to get into other asset classes yet, but eventually I will. And so it's good to have that information. So that way we're knowledgeable enough to take action when we're ready. Gotcha, gotcha. All right, and I'm assuming the same thing for uh, Coldstar uh, yep. is the same well, Coldstar, thing. Coldstar, I want to understand because see, Dallas to me is my number one market, but that's not mm -hmm. always going to be the case. What if what if the fundamentals change? So I always want to keep an eye out on what's happening. Uh, we look at the numbers frequently in terms of job growth, population growth, all these different things, rent growth, just, you know, appreciation, because it might be the number one market now, but in two years, maybe Nashville is the number one market. Maybe mm -hmm. Phoenix is. So that way. I could adapt and always just go where I see the puck going, right? And not just gotcha. kind of sit, sit, sit and wait just because, oh, we've been in Dallas for too long, whatever, mm -hmm. we'll keep at it. You know, I don't, I don't like that. You know what I mean? Gotcha. Right, right. So what, what are, so that, that's an interesting statement. So what is a, and I'm not sure if uh, the, if we've, if you've been in the game uh, long enough to have seen, a city go from bustling to you want to stay away from this? Or have you seen that to where it's like, hey, this is a spot to go to. And then you start seeing some indicators like, ah, uh, you may want to stay away from that city because it looks like it's well, about to get I'll, shaky. I'll give you an example of a local market that I experienced and that is San Jose, the Bay Area, right? <laughs> the Bay Area markets have always been doing really, really well. But then what happened is in terms of not just um, not rental, but like just owning properties in general, um, it's been doing really well. Obviously, landlord laws have always been crap, and mm -hmm. so that's just part of the thing you get with with California. But but there have been a lot of appreciation. There's been a lot of rent growth. But then what happened is over the past couple of years is that the reason we had all that appreciation and all that rent growth is because number one, we had a lot of population growth. It, we were one of the fastest growing you know um, states always. That's why our population is so big. But mm -hmm. the other thing is, and we had a lot of inward migration. But the other thing is we had a lot of jobs. We had a lot of companies that would that would you know start out in the Bay Area. And so that always was super, super helpful. But then what happened over the past couple of years since COVID is that a lot of people started leaving and a lot of jobs started going virtual and remote. San Francisco is like they have, uh, I, I read like they have 39% office occupancy now. It's like oh a ghost God. town. It's crazy, right? <laughs> and Jeez. So, I know it's 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 insane. And so yeah. so jobs started leaving elsewhere. Uh, people started leaving elsewhere. And so the market stinked and the prices have been going down for a very long time ever since. And so to me, uh, you know, like that shows me why you always want to keep your eye on what's happening with 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 laws, with jobs, with population, because this this stuff could change very, very quickly if you're not keeping your eyes open. Gotcha. Now is there a certain point to where you'll look at San Jose uh, and these types of areas that are on this uh, crazy decline uh, and be like, you know what, it's starting to get to that price point to where things are getting a little interesting and maybe I should, you know, look back at it. So do you foresee that happening within the next few years uh, or well, it's like, we're still far away from that? Well, the thing is the thing about California, Washington, Oregon, all these other States, um, is number one is they're, they're very anti-landlord. So that mm -hmm. to me kills, like, I don't care what the numbers are. If it's anti-landlord, right. I'm out, I'm done. <laughs> right, uh, right. But, but the other thing is I never want to be, I never want to be the first person that tries to catch the bottom. I want to see consistent growth for a long time before I would feel comfortable 
um, you know, putting my name, my reputation, my brand on a deal in those type of markets. So like gotcha. San Jose probably is not going to be on my list for a very, very long time, if ever. <laughs> Gotcha. Gotcha. Understood. All right. So, uh, so I'm big on books. Um, and I feel like it's important to, uh, educate yourself, of course, with courses, mentorship, YouTube videos, but having books that, uh, teaches you certain, uh, skills to me is very important. Like right now, uh, I'm uh, reading this book, uh, YouTube secrets, um, learning about how to you know do better content and, uh, doing things like that. And so what are three books or you don't have to limit them to three. What are some books that you would recommend someone that wants to get into uh, either being an agent or being a multifamily investor? What are some books you would recommend? Good question. Um, I'm actually not very big on books personally, not because I don't believe in them. I just don't have, I don't know. I just don't read books to be honest with you. Mm -hmm, uh, mm -hmm. But I'll tell you the books that I have read that, I've really liked, I'm, I'm not a big believer in reading a bunch of books without applying the knowledge. Like sometimes right. the whole thing about reading a book a, a week, I don't know if that really matters or not, to be honest, because mm -hmm. it's like, are you actually applying the knowledge if you're reading that fast? And a lot of people are not, they're just checking off the box. Mm -hmm. um, so I read the book once every like quarter type of thing. Um, and so my, my favorite all time book is whatever it takes by Steven Schwartzman. He's the guy that started, um, Blackstone and he's worth mm. about 30, $35 billion right now. Very successful guy, obviously, um, started when he was 45 and he details a story of how he built Blackstone. One of the things he says, that's really interesting is he says, look, it takes as much time and effort to build a small business as it does to build a big business. So if you're going to build a big bit, if you're going to build a business, you might as well build a big business. And I completely exactly. agree with that. Right. Uh, so, so, so there's that another book I really like is good to great, but that's kind of a classic. Everybody knows about it. Uh -huh. uh, Stephen Schwartzman book, whatever it takes. I surprisingly, not a lot of people have heard about it. So highly I've never it. heard of it either. So I'm, I'm yeah. definitely going to order that tonight. Oh, it's, right. it's phenomenal. And I really uh -huh. like this book by Alex Hermosi. It's a hundred million dollar CEO where he talks a lot about marketing ads, uh -huh. sales. I think that's one of the best books I've read for sure. Gotcha. So what did you like about that book? Cause I, I, I have it. I haven't read it yet. So what, yeah. what, what is it really about? And what was great about um, You it? mean Alex's book? Or? Yeah, Alex Mosey, yeah. Yeah, I, you know, I, I, like, I like how he really explains how to copyright well and how to set up ads and how to attract people. And I think it's, it's very, very useful. Uh -huh. um, now, in, in, my, in my business, we're really not doing a lot of sales. Like a lot of it is just content, you know, adding value. So that way, eventually, when we have a deal, people invest. But I... It was interesting because we do a lot of events, uh, weekly events and summits now and all these different things. And so I was able to apply a lot of the techniques I learned when I promote my events. And so that helped us gain more traction as a result. Gotcha. So with the, the weekly uh, events that you're doing, what are some things that uh, are unique to those events um, when it comes to attracting people to them? Yeah, so we just we just teach people um, how to buy multifamily real estate, both as active or passive, and it's completely mm -hmm. free every week. You know, it's consistent, and uh, I've paid zero dollars in ads, and it's growing. Like we started doing those about what was it like two, three months ago? I think it was, and uh, the database went from zero. I started a brand new database just for those events. We went from zero to now we're over two thousand people in literally just three months. 
it's just it. it's exploding over the past month we had 34 percent growth in number okay. of contacts um and they're free the free events that people are getting every week from us are better than some of the stuff that they pay other mentors for and so that's why right. it's growing so rapidly Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been working out really well. I'm also hosting in-person events. We just hosted our first summit. We had 760 signups on that. Uh, again, zero dollars in ads, which is really cool to see. Yeah. So um, let's talk about that summit for a little bit. Cause I, cause yeah. I know, um, I, I saw it. Um, I saw the advertisement Well, not the advertisement. I saw it online. The post, uh, yeah. yeah. The post for it. Uh, and I signed up, but I was at an open house in a weekend. So I know, I think it was like a two day, uh, two or yep. three day event. Um, I had an open house on on uh, Saturday and Sunday, and it was during those times. So I'm like, man, I, I want to get you know this information and to really see what it's about. So, what what is this summit all about? And, and just kind of uh, give a, a explanation. Yeah, so what it is. so we wanted to bring in people that bought a billion dollars or more to basically teach people how to do it. Right? Uh, I'm a big believer. If you want to learn how to do something you want to learn it from someone who's done it and so i want to build a billion dollar company and so i'm like look i want to bring in people that have done it because number one i want to learn how to do it from them directly now a lot of these people i've copied their models just by researching what they do and going deep into it right but i wanted others to see it firsthand from these guys so i brought those in. i brought in some of the biggest brokers in the business to talk about what's happening in the market i brought in um, you know, some of the top SEC attorneys to talk about how to raise funds legally and all these different things. And right. so I, you know, what I realized over time is that if you build a good product, and by the way, an event is a product, if you build a good product, it will almost promote itself. Right. Um, and, and like, that's why it was able to get so many people without really doing as much work on the promotion, because I did a lot of work on bringing in the right people, putting in the right, um, you know, event and everything. And so, so that kind of took care of the promotion for us. The fact that we had some of the heaviest hitters and that wasn't easy to pull together, to be honest with you. I worked on it for yeah. like four months to get all of these people's and their different schedules. Cause obviously these people are very busy. And so to get them yeah. at the right schedules and all uh-huh, that stuff uh-huh. was not easy at all. And, right. um, but it worked out, you know, it worked out really well. Gotcha. I love it. And it was completely right. free. You know, it's funny. He's uh, one of the mm-hmm. people that was on. He's like, dude, um, I've been to a lot of events like this where I paid a lot of money and I mm-hmm. haven't had a fraction of the value that I got from this free event. You know, I love it. I love it. Uh, see, and that's something that I've been thinking about when it comes to, uh, you know, different types of education that I, I put out there. So, of course, I have the videos that I put out on Instagram about this is how you find, you know, your first deal. This is uh, how you speak to motivated sellers. It's how you buy, like all these different things. And then I have the ebook that I put out there. Uh, but as far as a vision of what I want the brand itself to be, the Your First Steps brand, is I want it to be basically the introduction to someone who wants to get into real estate, right? And it's like, okay, I want to... I want to get in. So what, what does that mean? Do you want to be an agent? Do you want to be, you know, a flipper? Do you want to be like, whatever it is. And so I want people to come in, but there's times to where I feel like there's that mental block in a lot of people to where it's like, wait, hold on. If it costs, I don't know if I want to do it. So let me just spend all this time on YouTube and maybe I'll just kind of absorb some information. So what made you decide to not charge for, uh, for things uh, and just go that route of, you know what, let me just make it free uh, to attract people to it. Yeah. So, so, you know, it's interesting. They ask that because I, I completely understand what you're saying. And the fact that when it's free, sometimes people don't take it as seriously. And exactly. I've come to that realization. 
Mm-hmm. Um, that's why, like for the mastermind, I decided to charge for the mastermind, but it's like we, I made sure it's very high quality, but you know, I want people to first trust us before they pay for anything. The problem with having uh, an overall paid event is like, oh, even if it's $10 or $20 or like, well, you know, I don't know if I believe this guy will deliver, you know, on, on whatever I'm paying for, even if it's cheap, right? Cause to them paying is paying, whether it's a $10 mm-hmm. or a thousand dollars. And so when you set it as, as a free event and you over deliver by the highest standards that they had, you over deliver and make it an amazing event that they all participate. And then it's like, okay, I could charge for whatever it is, you know, I want to charge for and people will trust me because they see how much I worked on a free event, let alone a paid mm. thing that they decide to go through with. So, you know, you, people will believe that you will help them if you actually help them right up front without asking for anything. And then when you make the ask, it becomes a lot easier. Now I do want to say that some people are all about, Hey, we'll just keep giving and giving and giving without taking anything. And I would love to do that. But at the same time, you've got bills to pay, you've got expenses to pay. And so you have to charge for some things and those things better add a lot of value to people, but there has to be a balance. You don't want to be on the side where everything is paid because then you're not going to attract anybody because you haven't Mm -hmm. added any value yet. Um, Mm -hmm. But in my opinion, and I've tried the model of everything is going to be free. I actually tried it for a year. Um, Uh I literally was like, we'll do everything for free, super high quality. And to be honest with you, I realized that there were a lot of people that wanted more, but they couldn't get it because I couldn't afford to give more because I was already giving so much for Uh, free. And so then it's like, okay, uh like the mastermind thing, I had so many people want to learn how to buy multifamily, but I'm like, guys, I don't have the time to like do one-on-one coaching or even group coaching because it's like, I'm busy building my business, right? Right. And so then I had to charge for it to justify spending the time to set it all up. And now the people that are in are super happy, but but yeah, you have to charge for some things, but you have to keep other things free to kind of keep the top of the funnel open to get trust, add value, and then charge in the back end. Gotcha, gotcha. I love it. All right, and so uh, now we're going to the uh, segment of uh, the lightning round. Right. Yeah. So it's just a few questions, nothing crazy, uh, but uh, there are just a few questions I, I thought that would be uh, pretty interesting for you. So you kind of answered this first one, so I'll change it up a little bit. So if you could only buy apartments for the next 10 years in one city that's not in Texas, where um, would it be? Harder. <laughs> I don't know why you threw that in there. I, I knew you were going to say <laughs> Dallas. So I'm like, all right, hold on. Let, let me, let me uh, change it up. Good question. I would probably choose Nashville. Okay. And why is that? It, I mean, it's a very stable city. They've had a lot of job growth, a lot of population growth. The, the state itself is very, you know, it's 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 uh, landlord friendly. And so that, and also doesn't have a lot of hurricanes and all these different issues that some cities in Florida sure. have. Not saying mm-hmm. that Florida is a bad market. It's a great market, but, mm-hmm. you know, that's another component you have to worry about. And so to me, it's stable, nice, growing, right? So yeah, Nashville, I would say probably would be my my choice. Gotcha. Gotcha. If, if I All can't right. choose Dallas, if you can't choose Dallas. Okay. Gotcha. All right. So second question, uh, if you were not in real estate, right. So at, at on any capacity agent, apartment investor on like any level, what else would you be doing? Yeah, that's a good question. That's man. God, that's a very, what's up with all these hard ones? <laughs> I don't know. You know what it is to me? Real estate is a vehicle 
of business. I enjoy business. Real estate mm -hmm. is the vehicle that I could be in business through. And gotcha. so it could be anything really. I enjoy real estate because I'm now an expert at it. In my opinion, I obviously there's mm -hmm. always more room to grow. There's always more to learn, but I, I have a certain level of expertise and I would hate to start over in a different industry, mm -hmm. but I could do it in any industry. I, I, I like solar, for example, I like roofing, um, you know, all these other industries because, you know, they, they, they have high margins and uh, and they're scalable and all that stuff mm -hmm. as well. Got it. So it's interesting. I said not real estate, but you was like, okay, solar, that'll go on houses. real estate. Same thing with real estate. <laughs> so even if it wasn't real estate, it'll be real estate, basically. <laughs> okay, I got, you. I got you. All right. So last question. Uh, if you can go back in time to your 18-year-old self, right? Uh and you know, let me ask some more uh, restrictions on it. You could only speak to them for about, uh, let me not do that. You go to your 18 year old self and you can only speak to them uh, about, you know, the future. What advice would you give your 18 year old self to prepare him for what's to come? Um, well, number one is going to, it's going to be way harder than you think. I don't know mm. if I would tell him that though, to be honest with you, I want him to like, just kind of keep trying, not knowing how hard it is, because a lot of times, like I said, when, if you know how hard something is, you might give up before you even try. So I don't know if I would necessarily say that, but one of the advice I would give is, um, hire people sooner than you mm. think, uh, mm. because I probably wasted a year of my life, not, not doing what I could have been doing had I hired people sooner. So I would say hiring people sooner, um, I would have also highly advised to start investing in real estate sooner because I started, I learned how to make money, right? But I didn't learn how to invest it until much later. And so I, I just had cash. I'm like, I don't know what to do with the cash, right? I've nobody mm -hmm. ever taught me how to invest, right? Um, again, I didn't come from a family that was like that before. Mm -hmm. So um, I had to, I had to waste a few years with just cash doing nothing in the bank, because to me, it, I, I'm not the type that would go out and spend a bunch of money on things. So I just kind of said, and so mm -hmm. anyway, um, yeah, mm -hmm. that hire people invest sooner, think bigger, you know, like when I first got in, I'm like, God, if I, if I could make as much as, cause I live in the Bay area. And so like these people that work in tech companies make like, you know, 150, 200, 250. And I remember my mentor when I first got in, he's like, dude, you know, one day you're going to be able to buy a million dollar house and uh, you're going to make more than these tech guys. I'm like, uh, I'm like, God, that's not possible. How could I, how could I buy a million dollar house? Do you know my background? Right. I like, and so right. like, if I was to go back at a thought, much, much, much bigger, you know? Gotcha. Gotcha. I love it. And you said something earlier that I thought was very interesting. Uh, and I a thousand percent agree, um, which is ignorance is on some level a, a gift, right? Uh, when you're younger, you on some level, you don't know any better. So you just try things out. And you don't think about if it's too big uh, or how hard it's going to be. It's just like, a, oh, I want to try this thing. Let me just go for it. So right. uh, with your uh, success, uh, what was that? Let me, let me frame it perfectly. What would you say to a, a young person? So not, not young you, but just people that's out there that's young. Uh, what what uh, advice would you give for them that that wants to start, whether it's real estate or just any type of entrepreneurial endeavor? Like what what uh, is some? Yeah, what what I would say, look, whatever it is you want to do, you have to understand it's going to take ten times minimum, ten times more work. So if you think you're going to go into something and and 
you know, like put in 10 calls to make something work, you're probably going to need thousands, right? If you go in something and you're thinking, hey, I could send a thousand flyers and get a deal, you're probably going to need a hundred thousand flyers, right? So it's going to take way more work than you actually imagine. That's number one. And so, so 10x, 100x, how much work you're going to put in. That's number one. The other thing is, um, you want to set the target much higher because when you set a target that's much higher, then it, it helps you understand where the bottlenecks are in the business. And then you could solve the bottlenecks. So it's like, okay, I want to build Blackstone. Why can't I go build Blackstone next year? Oh, well, because I can't raise billions of dollars in equity. Not because the deals aren't there, but I can't raise billions of dollars in equity in a year. So, okay, now I know the, the bottleneck in my business, I could easily tell is I can't raise that money. So I need to hire people to help me with that problem. Uh, okay. So now we could raise a lot of money. Why can't I build Blackstone? Oh, well, we don't have enough relationships with brokers and multiple markets to get those deals to deploy that capital. So, so again, the point of this exercise I'm doing is I'm just showing uh -huh. you when you think super large, it helps you understand what really is the bottleneck. Because a lot of times we think things are a problem. Then when you think much bigger, you're like, no, nah, this, if I fix this, it really wouldn't fix the issue. Like would fixing my website actually get me more customers? Uh, not really. The website isn't the issue. Is it the business card design? No, that's not the issue. Because uh -huh. if you if you could fix this other issue that we're not actually talking about, none of this other little crap that you're bringing up matters, right? Exactly. And so I noticed this happens a lot with business owners. They focus on the little stuff, not the big stuff, because uh -huh. the little stuff is easier to fix, right? But anyway, so 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 work way more, um, set much larger targets, and then have very low expectations, have very, very low expectations, because that will help you uh, not give up. If you, if you have very large expectations, you'll tend to give up much quicker if you don't hit those uh, expectations. Gotcha, man, the boss. That was amazing. Thank you so uh, much for doing it. this, this uh, podcast, man. This, it's was, been a uh, pleasure. this is great. Yeah, absolutely. And so for the folks that want to follow you, that want to find your ebook and just wants to really follow whatever you're doing, where uh, should they go to find you? I would say the best way is to uh, make an, a free investor account and book a call with me. You don't have to invest in any deals, but that way we could book a call. Um, you go to modelequity.com forward slash invest. Modelequity.com forward slash invest. Then you just fill out your information and then you could book a 15 minute call. We'd love to get on the phone and uh, talk about you and what you're doing. Gotcha. All right. Awesome. Hey, thank you so much, man. I appreciate totally, it. Totally, man. I appreciate you having me on. All right. No doubt. Thank you for listening to the Your First Steps podcast. Let us know what you thought about this episode by leaving a review. And don't forget to subscribe.